he had a message to tell. The date was the 2nd of September, 1945. The location was the USS Missouri anchored in Tokyo Bay. General Douglas MacArthur, Supreme Allied Commander, was about to declare that World War II had come to an end. More than 60 million people had lost their lives in the war. It had started on the 1st of September 1939. Six long years of war fought over thousands of square kilometres from the hedgerows of Normandy to the streets of Stalingrad from the icy mountains of Norway to the deserts of Libya from the jungles of Burma to the Pacific Islands most of Europe and large parts of Asia lay in ruins but now finally the war was over it was a message that people all over the world were longing to hear and General Douglas MacArthur was about to give this news an awesome message but as Christians as we heard this morning we have an even greater message to tell the world the message we have to tell is the only real hope of the world and the privilege and responsibility of declaring this message has been given to every single Christian so as we start 2005 the question that we are challenged with is how do we effectively communicate this message we find an answer to this question in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 the Apostle Paul is the author of this very personal letter and Paul reminds us that God in his grace uses ordinary people like you and like me to accomplish his purposes on earth so before we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 let's first pray let's pray Father we thank you for your word we thank you that you want to speak to us through your word we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would help us to understand and obey your word in Jesus name we pray Amen in this chapter Paul highlights three steps in how we can effectively communicate this message which he calls this treasure wherever God has placed us so very simply we're going to look at each step in turn here's the first one discovering our ministry verses 1 to 6 at the end of last year I joined a gym Bantine's gym and I have since discovered that I must have muscles I never knew existed how did I discover this? because they totally ache but apparently going to the gym is supposed to be good for you I'm going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger in six months time and in this chapter Paul is telling us here that there is something every Christian must discover it's in verse 1 therefore 
since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. What we must discover is that every Christian has a ministry. It's not just for those who are called ministers or missionaries. Alan Redpath, a former pastor of this church, writes about this ministry. This is what he says. From the moment the Holy Spirit reveals to us Jesus Christ and comes to live in our hearts and we are born again, life becomes a ministry. It is no longer a self-seeking, aimless, purposeless existence. But it is a ministry. So what exactly is this ministry that we have received? There are two key things to notice here. Firstly, the message of our ministry. The message Paul proclaimed was absolutely clear. In verse 5, he spells it out. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. However, often in today's world, the focus is so much on promoting ourselves. Look after number one. TV shows like Pop Idol or The X Factor have become very popular. Why? Because people want to be discovered even if they can't think to save, them, save themselves. But for a Christian, our focus is different. It is Christ-centered. When someone becomes a Christian, read what happens in verse 6 of this chapter. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. As in the creation, God's first words were, Let there be light. So in that moment, when we were born again of the Spirit of God, the light dawned and shone into our hearts in the person and in the face of Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, God was pleased to reveal his Son in me. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years. Or maybe you've been a Christian for just a few years. Maybe even a few weeks. But when we all look afresh into the face of Jesus Christ, what do we see? We see the one who left heaven's splendor and was born in a manger in Bethlehem. We see the one who is a child of twelve sat and taught in the temple with a spirit-instructed mind. We see the one who worked in a carpenter shop, knowing that his hour had not yet come. We see the one before whom the devils begin to tremble. We see the one who laid down his life for us on the cross. We see the one who rose again triumphant on the third day. And we see the one who is coming again, the one before whom every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, says Paul, this is what has been revealed to me. This is what I have seen. And it is this which is the message of our ministry. The glory of God in the face of Christ. Over the past few days, 
many people, many people have asked the question, how can I believe in a God of love when disasters happen? Like what's happened in Southeast Asia on Boxing Day. Tens of thousands lost their lives in Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India and Thailand. Something I have come to realise is that we will not always get complete answers to our why questions here on this fallen and broken earth. So how do we still trust in God completely over every aspect of our lives? Supremely by looking at the glory of God in the face of Christ. And it is there that we see the depth of God's love for us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus came into this world to rescue us from our sin. And He knows what it is to experience suffering in this fallen and broken world. He had suffered on a cross. And Paul knew that. He had had his own experience of how God had rescued him. I read about this in Acts 26. And the former slave trader, John Newton, knew that. And that's why he could write a famous hymn from his own experience. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it's something we can all think about as we start 2005. Do we share, along with Paul and John Newton, that same urgent desire to get the gospel out? Sometimes we can think that if God has not called us to be a pastor or a missionary or some other full-time Christian worker, then we are somehow less important in God's kingdom. That we are somehow second-rate Christians. That could not be more wrong. If God has called you to share this life-transforming message here in Edinburgh, in your family, in your streets, in the hospital, in your school, in your university, in your office, in your science lab, where you shop, then that is exactly where God wants you to be to exercise this ministry and communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the second thing to notice about this ministry, the method of our ministry. Here's a question. How do we communicate the good news of Jesus Christ in a world where people increasingly do not know the Bible and where tolerance is the key word? In one sense, there are various methods we can use for sharing the unchanging message of the gospel in a changing world. For example, there is the Christianity Explore course that we run in this church and that could also be run in your home using videos. There are different types of children's work where relationships are built to families and children whose eyes still need to be opened to the truth of Jesus Christ. There is the Edinburgh Festival. Someone might come to a Christian play who would not initially come to a church service. For Paul, however, the heart of how he expressed his ministry was by preaching. John Stott starts his book, I Believe in Preaching. Preaching is indispensable to Christianity. And we see this in the life of Jesus himself. In Mark 1 verse 14 we read, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. 
And that is why every third Sunday this year, we will have a guest service in this church. And it will be aimed particularly for people who have not yet become Christians. People who matter to God. So there are different methods we can use for communicating this unchanging message of the gospel in a changing world. But there is another sense in which our methods never change. Look at verse 2. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul was not overly concerned with being politically correct. Notice, he proclaimed the whole truth of God's word. Only Jesus Christ is Lord. Only Jesus can open eyes that are spiritually blind. Here's a challenge to think about. How about praying for one or two people this year who you work beside or who you live next to you that they will have their eyes opened to the reality of Jesus Christ in 2005? Spending time getting to know them because credibility comes in the context of a relationship and praying that they might come with you to one of these events or services this year and become a Christian. You see, Satan is not omnipotent. Satan is only able to remove sight. God actually restores sight. And God does this through his spirit as ordinary people like you and like me communicate this extraordinary message. Alan Redpath writes helpfully again. There's a life to be revealed. Not just a system of theology, but a life, a character, a principle of action. Through the Christian church, which is the only hope amid the darkness, immorality and spiritual bankruptcy of the world today. For the church is the only organisation in the world which exists entirely for the sake of those who are not members of it. So that is the first step in effectively communicating the gospel, discovering our ministry. The second step we find is declaring our weakness in verses 7 to 12. Paul was someone who had been gifted in certain ways by God's goodness. He was a highly educated and intelligent person. Yet he was fully aware of where his confidence lay. And it was not in himself. Communism utterly failed to grasp this. Communism had a false sense of confidence in achieving progress without God. And yet now there are millions of Christians in places such as China and Russia. Patrick Johnston writes in his book, Operation World, The Church of the Lord Jesus is larger than the Communist Party of China. Millions in these countries have now put their confidence in God. And that's where Paul's confidence lay. He declared his weakness, and in doing so, he highlights two further lessons for communicating the life-changing message of the Gospel. First, is that he was a weak vessel. A vessel that was easily broken. Just a few days ago, we were at Lendrick Muir to celebrate the start of a new year. And we enjoyed a good old Kaylee. Now, I am not the world's best dancer. If you don't believe me, you can ask Alison. And a few years before, we were at a, we were at a Kaylee in a place called Glasgow. 
And I was dancing with a policewoman uh, during a dance called Strip the Willow. Now you might know this, that it's a really fast dance. As it happened, halfway through the dance, the music stopped. So I stopped. But we were going that fast that my partner kept spinning around. And she went over on her ankle. Now, I thought she was fine. She had just sprained it. But guess what? She had broken it. Did I feel bad or what? So I bought her a get well card, a bunch of flowers, and a bottle of Lucasade. And the funny thing is, she always tried to avoid me after that. But it just reminded me, we are all weak vessels, easily broken. And I fall to dancing with you at the next church, Kaylee. And that's how we are described in verse 7. That we have this treasure in jars of clay. In other words, this treasure is not kept in a strong and permanent body. We are fragile and easily broken. And that is part of God's sovereign plan in getting the gospel out. He does this so that we will learn to rely on his power in advancing the work of the gospel. And verse 8 we read, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Scott Tasteman, who taught me Greek very patiently, comments on these verses. This is what he says. By using the divine passive, Paul again asserts, that his sufferings are not merely coincidental, but part of the divine plan for the spread of the gospel. You know, it's sometimes good to say to yourself, I'm an old clay pot. If you get promoted at work, or if you get a new job, or you get a big pay rise, or you just feel you're getting a bit big-headed, just remind yourself, I'm an old clay pot. It will do you good. And it's actually very significant. We'd have a due estimate of ourselves. However, these cheap, fragile vessels could be used to store precious things. The good news of Jesus Christ. It's a bit like carrying the crown jewels in a Tesco's carrier bag. Therefore, Paul's focus was primarily not on the vessel, but on God's power dwelling in us. So the second lesson Paul, Paul highlights here in declaring his own weakness is recognising that we serve a powerful God. God delights in turning weakness into strength. Paul concludes verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Take the example of Jacob in the Old Testament in Genesis 32. Jacob, the schemer and the dreamer. When did Jacob become eminently useful? In his moment of weakness. God wrestled with Jacob and touched his thigh and put it out of joint. Suddenly, God crushes him. And as a result, God makes him eminently useful. You see, if God's objective is that we depend upon him, then weakness is an advantage. 
Yet we can spend so much of our time trying to parade our achievements, trying to give the impression to everyone else that we are strong, that we have got it all together. However, our dependence on God is not partial, it is total. Derek Prime writes in his commentary in 2 Corinthians, Although we are marked by weakness and fragility, this is God's deliberate purpose so that it may be plain that the power is not ours, but his. And that is why prayer is so vital for any Christian and any church. Starting from tomorrow morning, we are having a week of prayer in this church. Why not come and join us? We are meeting in the lower hall from 7.30 till 8.15am sharp. Corrie Ten Boom, a lady in whom the power of God was very evident, once said, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tyre? Our confidence as we go into this new year is to be holy in God. As Paul writes earlier in this letter, in chapter 3 verse 5, not that we are confident in ourselves to claim anything for God, anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. What have I done? We have looked at the message we have to proclaim. I think we're going to change mics first. I knew that was happening. That always happens to me. I'm sorry I've broken it. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Can we have links? Oh, sorry. At the message. One, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a friend there. So we okay, well we try. Let's go for it. So we have looked at the message we have to proclaim. proclaim. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do so through relying on God's power. But why exactly do we communicate this message? Why bother? In other words, what is our vision for what we are doing as individuals and as a church? The first step we come to is developing our vision, verses 13 to 18. Not only can I not dance, but I can't even play football. In fact, there isn't that much story for me. But for all great footballers, like David Beckham or like Ronaldo, they know that having a clear vision of what they want to achieve is essential to be effective in their sport. So what is our vision for communicating the message of the Gospel? This message which is the only hope of the world. Our vision is supremely for the praise of Christ on earth and for the praise of Christ in heaven. So firstly, the praise of Christ 
on air. And two more things. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. The reason we have guest services every third Sunday here in this church, and the reason why we help support approximately 40 missionaries throughout the world, is because we have a righteous jealousy for the praise of Jesus Christ on earth. Because we want to see more and more people, as Paul puts it, worshipping Jesus as Lord. You see, there are only two kinds of ambition. We can be ambitious either for ourselves, or we can be ambitious for God. There is no third alternative. And that is why the vision statement of Charlotte Chapel, as you will find in this month's The Record, is conspicuous for Christ. Paul's supreme ambition is that Jesus Christ would be rightfully exalted. And that is our ultimate vision as Christians. And that is the vision of this church, to be conspicuous for Christ. And that is God's will. God's will is that all people everywhere should worship Jesus Christ as Lord. And we see this vision in someone like William Carey, who is used by God in a powerful way as a missionary in India. Carey knew well that he was just an old clay pot. But he had a vision for the praise of Christ on earth, and he wanted to impact his world for Christ. He famously said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. What a vision. Do you and I share that vision? And finally, our vision is not only for the praise of Christ on earth, but for the praise of Christ in heaven. Paul did not have it easy. He had faced his own challenges in being conspicuous for Christ. And we can be sure that we will face our own challenges in being conspicuous for Christ here in Edinburgh in 2005. Maybe you'll face discouragements at your work or in your family. Things might not go quite just as you had planned it. But listen to what Paul says in verses 16 and 17. Listen to how Paul kept that unshakable vision. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul knows where his future lies. His vision went beyond this world. He had a certain hope of God and Jesus Christ. Why? Because he looked at the glory of God in the face of Christ. He had a clear vision of who he was serving. And he looked forward to a time where along with countless millions, he could praise Christ in heaven. And that's why he could endure hardships in this present world. And so Paul could write, 
So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We started tonight by thinking about the Second World War. Sixty years ago this year, a message was proclaimed from the USS Missouri, anchored in Tokyo Bay. It was a message that brought joy to millions of people all over the world. The war was finally over. One hundred years ago this year, another message was proclaimed. It was a message proclaimed here in this church, Charlotte Chapel. The pastor at that time was a man called Joseph Kemp. And it was an extraordinary message carried by ordinary people. Old clay pots. What was the message? The glory of God in the face of Christ. They got the gospel out. And God took that life-transforming message and over the next two years, by the power of His Spirit, a revival swept through this church. Hundreds of people gave their lives to Jesus Christ and worshipped Him as Lord. God showed that this all-surpassing power is from Him and not us. And that is a mystery of the Gospel. And that is a challenge to all of us here in Charlotte Chapel today in 2005 in being conspicuous for Christ. God has put this treasure in a clay pot. Let's pray.